1: you know, sending him information, him kicking it back saying it's not enough, I can't convict that. I mean, there's not really much you can do. The whole thing is basically just their decision if they want to chase it or not, and if they don't, then there's no trouble for them. And if they do, and they fuck it up, and there's still no trouble for them. There's nothing you can do about it. He was supposedly wearing a Tankerman suit, which is, I mean, it's fireproof and... It's like a 900 to to $1,000 one-piece suit that you have to wear on a barge, which he would have been wearing when he got off the barge and it's not on his boat, and it wasn't on him. But if he left with that uniform on, it didn't just disappear in between, you know, Louisiana and the apartment. Like he wouldn't have thrown it out the window. So, I mean, it's never been found. It's never, I mean, nobody knows where it's, where it could be a good portion of evidence, just disappeared. Uh, we went in there to clean the apartment up, found a piece of paper with his bank account number and his routing number written on it, like a little post-it note. Turned it in and who knows where that's been. The nine inch knife that was unsheathed just on the floor, the other knife that possibly had blood on it, nobody knows because we gave it to them to be tested and it just disappeared. I mean, there was a shirt when I was cleaning the bathroom that had clearly been used to wipe up blood. I mean, it had, like, dirt and hair and dog hair and just blood on the bottom of it. It was flat, and I mean, you could see, like, where someone was holding it and wiping up blood. So, I mean, it was clearly used for that. Turn it in, and it's just gone. I assume they just threw it away. I mean, I don't know what else they would have done with it, but they claim they never got it, and I can't. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it, because they can just say, well, you never brought it to us. And I can say, yeah, I did all day, but it doesn't get anywhere. I guess it really wouldn't matter because it's something that we brought them. So they could sit there and say, I'm like, well, I mean, you could have easily just planted this there and somehow got your brother's blood and put it on it somehow. But regardless, it's just disappeared.
2: As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend simply safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught. Crime is just waiting to happen. So be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe. The best home security system of 2024 according to US News and World Report. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysavecom slash culpable. That's simplysavecom slash culpable. There's no safe like safe. I just want to tell you, you're going to hear a lot from me in this episode. And there's going to be a ton of information thrown at you, a bunch of different names, as well as some crossover between two different agencies involved in this case. There's a lot to unpack here, so just stay with me. Let's get into it. This is a reading from page one of the Mississippi Bureau of Investigations report on the Christian Andriacchio case.
3: On June 17, 2014, Lieutenant Eric Johnson with the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation assigned Agent Trent Weeks a case that originated with the Meridian Police Department. The case was concerning the death of Christian Andreacchio that occurred on February 26, 2014. Lieutenant Johnson was contacted by Lieutenant Colonel Gail Mills with the Mississippi Highway Patrol and the Andreacchio family, and asked to review the case. Meridian Police Department Detective Demarcus Wilburn was the lead detective on the case. Detective Wilburn had come to the conclusion after his investigation that the gunshot wound was self-inflicted and had ruled it a suicide. On June 24, 2014, At approximately 1,300 hours, Lieutenant Johnson, Agent Weeks, and Agent Lee met Ray and Todd Andreacchio at Troop H in Meridian, Mississippi, to discuss Christian's death and advise them the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation would be reviewing the case file.
2: Last episode, we focused on MPD's investigation and their handling of Christian's case. But there was another department who worked this case, the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. We'll refer to them as MBI. MBI is thought to be the premier law enforcement in the state of Mississippi. You have to make an official request for them to open a case. And obviously, they don't just take any case that comes their way. So, hearing that MBI decided to investigate Christian's case was big news for Ray and Todd and a much needed boost of confidence. They thought that with MBI's expertise, they'd get a more thorough investigation and hopefully a different outcome. They thought that.
4: We began communicating with Trent Weeks, who was the detective with MBI. And he told us that we were his first case, you know, that he was new to the MBI force. So we began just communicating with him because we felt like he was gonna help us and he had taken kind of the case over from MPD. And really, Todd had more interaction with him than I did because he wouldn't return my phone calls, he wouldn't really respond to me at all. Our main, I guess, complaint with Trent was that he, number one, was very slow about doing anything And there were people that we asked him to talk to, you know, that we knew had information. I mean, the people on the boat, the just different people that he never contacted. We would have to harass him and harass him to get him to talk to anybody. I mean, Todd's dad, you know, we kept telling him, you need to talk to Todd's dad. You need to talk to him because Dylan went over and talked to him twice. And... Finally, he talked to him, but then he left all of that out of his report.
5: Well, my dad finally went out there and kind of cornered him up and made him talk to him.
2: He just kind of called and said, I'm on the way, I'll meet you out there, and went out there and he was there.
4: And then when we would talk to him, Todd would ask him, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, what are you thinking about this? And he would, oh, well, you know, I'm not on the suicide train. That's what he'd always say. And he led us to believe that he felt like there was foul play. But yet, when Max went and talked to Trent, I think that one of the first things he told Max was that when he talked to Wilburn at MPD to get the background on the case, that he and Wilburn decided it was a suicide right then. And, you know, Max's response was, so you're telling me that on day one of the investigation, you had decided it was a suicide before you had even looked at anything or talked to anybody. We felt like he was dishonest with us that if we pushed him about what was going on with the case, he would tell us that he had other cases and that ours was not priority because there were other people who had just recently been murdered or, or whatever had happened and that they had priority over Christian's case because time had elapsed, which I understood that, but it also seemed like it was taking him a very long time to do anything As far as MBI is concerned, there really was very little done. I guess the breaking point with Trent was when we met with Bilbo and Bilbo told us that Trent had told him it was a suicide. But Todd had talked to Trent just like the day before and Trent had told us that he didn't think it was a suicide. And so we just felt like he kind of strung us along and kind of kept giving us hope, you know, that something was going to happen. But then he was really not doing anything and really, you know, telling Bilbo something totally different. And then when the MBI report came out, they wouldn't give us a copy. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't even give Meridian Police Department a copy. It was just a secret document that nobody had but them and Bilbo. You know, they wouldn't tell us what was in it. We just knew that an MBI had given Bilbo a report.
2: Remember, Bilbo was the district attorney.
4: Which obviously, even in the report, when we finally did get a copy of it, it was all kind of conjecture. You know, well, this is a theory of how this could have happened. This is a theory of how... And, you know, to me, in my opinion, they were trying to explain away the evidence any way they could.
2: Let's talk about that document, the MBI report. MBI closed their investigation in November 2014 and released their official report. Well, sort of. They released it to Bilbo, but the Andriacchios didn't receive a copy at that time. In fact, it wasn't until nearly four years later, in 2018, when their attorney sent a letter requesting it, that they finally received a copy. The MBI report is 122 pages long, although a third of it is just copies of pages from the MPD report. I've managed to get through it several times myself, and I gotta be honest, I'm not impressed. I guess I went into it expecting answers, but by the end of it, I really just had more questions. I scoffed at MPD's measly 33-page report the first time I read it, but at least they provided transcriptions of the interviews conducted, word-for-word accounts of what people said. We don't get that in the MBI report. It just gives a summary of each interview, leaving no legitimate content to analyze, which is strange to me, because in my opinion, a transcription would have been a heck of a lot easier. That said, Let's go ahead and break down each of these. There's five of them.
3: Interview number one, Whitley Goodman.
2: Whitley stated adamantly that she was the one who opened the door to the bathroom, not Dylan. And she cried and held Christian's hands while Dylan called 911. She said she felt that her infidelity led to Christian committing suicide and mentioned that a Dos Equis beer found in the bathroom belonged to Christian. MBI's takeaway from this was, quote, Whitley's statement was consistent with her original statement she provided to MPD. The problem with that is, it's just not true. And here's why. Remember, Whitley's statement given to MPD was vague, especially as it pertained to what happened in the apartment that day. For one, there was no mention of a Dos Equis beer, which I'm not even sure why she mentioned that, but regardless, the toxicology report was negative. And in addition to that, Ray contacted Weeks to inform him that Christian's preferred drink was Crown Royal, and if he did drink beer, it would be Bud Light. But those comments were left out of the report. But most importantly, her mention of who opened the door, who found Christian, she told MBI that she did. However, in her statement to MPD, when asked the question who found Christian, her answer, Dylan. Doesn't seem very consistent to me.
3: Interview number two. Dylan
2: Swearingen. Dylan stated that while he was on the phone with 911, he saw Whitley seated next to Christian with her arm over his torso. And after being shown a picture of the crime scene, he stated that when he found the body, that there was more of Christian's torso outside of the tub and that his knees were closer to the tub, implying that Whitley hugging Christian caused his body to shift. Again, MBI claimed this statement was consistent with his original, but that's not entirely true. For one, There was much more content in his original statement to MPD, content that was therefore not corroborated in his statement to MBI. To be fair, the only points made in the MBI statement do appear to be consistent with the original. That Whitley hugged Christian, although he didn't mention anything about the body shifting the first time around. And that again, in reference to who found Christian, he stated that he found him, not Whitley.
3: Interview number three. Dallas Steel.
2: Dallas was Whitley's close friend at the time. She dropped Whitley off to meet up with Matt Miller on the night of the 25th, and she picked Whitley up from the police station on the night of the 26th, both of which are corroborated in her statement to NBI. In addition, Dallas stated that Whitley stayed at her house for three days following the 26th, and that Whitley spent a good amount of that time sleeping in her room. She goes on to say that during the initial investigation, she turned over a jacket to NPD. That belonged to Whitley that she left at her house.
3: Interview number four, Matt Miller, and interview number five, Jet Miller.
2: These statements obviously relate to the night before Christian's death, gun night. And Matt and Jet's statements given to NBI are mostly consistent with their original statements. Let's start with Matt. This time around, Matt could not confirm whether or not Whitley shot that night but he did confirm that he and Jet both shot the gun. He went on to say that Whitley stayed with him that night and he dropped her off in the morning, and that he missed calls from her the day of the 26th. And there were conversations that followed in which Whitley contradicted her story about who found Christian, as well as the location of the gunshot wound. Again, all of this is consistent. Same with Jet's statement, it's consistent. Gun night happened, Whitley and Matt came there together, Again, he stated in addition to himself and Matt that Whitley also shot a couple rounds, and he then goes on to say that she and Matt left later that night. These are the five interviews MBI included in the report. I'd like to note that it is our understanding that MBI conducted additional interviews. However, they are not included in the report. But the interviews are just one piece of the MBI report. The other two are theories and evidence, which for the most part coincide. Remember how Ray put it.
4: When we finally did get a copy of it, it was all kind of conjecture. You know, well, this is a theory of how this could have happened. And, you know, to me, in my opinion, they were trying to explain away the evidence
3: any way they could.
2: Let's start with MBI's theories. Again, we have a total of five.
3: Theory number one, the blood spatter.
2: There's two parts to this theory. The first being the location of the blood spatter, how some of the places in the room where the blood landed didn't seem to make sense, and also how blood landed on the exterior of the door if the door was closed when the incident occurred. MBI's explanation was that it was caused by MPD when they did their initial investigation. They stated that after Christian's body was removed, a bloody sheet that had been on the floor beside him was picked up and shaken in an attempt to find the shell casing. Automatically, this seemed unlikely because Detective Wilburn stated in the MPD report that he himself had identified the shell casing in the bathtub and it was retrieved. But Ray took this a step further and asked Jerry Bratsu, was now the lead detective with MPD, if he could confirm this theory. He told the Andriacchios that he spoke with the investigators who worked the case and they all denied this claim, and then went on to say that MBI's claim about the sheet shaking would go against all investigative procedures. So, location of the blood spatter is the first part. The second part of the blood spatter theory was on the overall lack of blood spatter at the scene. This is something that has puzzled just about everyone who's been involved in this case, and I understand that. One idea could be that there was an attempted cleanup or even a staging of the scene. Of course, that's not an idea that MBI seems to believe. MBI's explanation for the lack of blood spatter was that Christian may have shot himself with the hood of his hoodie covering his head. MBI hoped to test the hoodie for evidence to support this, but stated that upon requesting the hoodie, they were told that when it had been passed on from the coroner to the funeral home, it went unclaimed and was destroyed. Thankfully, there's another way to test this theory, that being the entrance wound, where no fibers from the hoodie were identified, making this idea highly unlikely. Not to mention, if he had shot himself through his hood, the pathologist should have retained the hoodie, and it also should have been noted in the report, but that didn't happen. And the autopsy report makes no mention of any damage to the hoodie.
3: Theory number two, the gun malfunctioned.
2: Christian's gun was a Kimber 45 semi-automatic pistol. The easiest way to explain how semi-automatic works is after a shot is fired, the gun will automatically cycle the next round into position. So the gun should have been found cocked with the next round ready for firing, but that wasn't the case. The gun was found decocked. To clarify, for the gun to have been decocked, it would have had to have been done manually and obviously Christian couldn't have done that, unless the gun somehow malfunctioned, which was MBI's stance on this. They claimed that after research of the gun, which was not provided, it was proven that a Kimber 45 can malfunction, and that that's likely what happened. Of course, Ray took to this quickly and started researching herself. She spoke with several gunsmiths, as well as the Kimber manufacturer's rep, and the response was unanimous. This type of gun does not malfunction. This proved to be true after the crime lab conducted a drop test, in which the gun did not malfunction. MBI then went on to say that the gun had been modified, information that came from Whitley, and that could have contributed to it malfunctioning. Ray adamantly denies the gun ever being modified, and MBI offered no additional information to support this.
3: Theory number three, the abrasion.
2: It hasn't been mentioned up to this point, But when Christian's body was recovered, in addition to the gunshot wound, Christian also had an abrasion on the bridge of his nose. The Andriacchios hoped for an explanation on how Christian may have obtained the injury. They believed it could have come from a struggle before Christian died. Agent Weeks spoke with Metro One Ambulance Service, and according to him, Metro One stated that during the recovery of the body, the coroner stood on the tub, straddling Christian's body, and when he lifted the body straight up by the torso, Christian's head fell down, and the bridge of his nose struck the tub, causing the abrasion. They made no mention of this in the EMT report. But to fact-check, the Andriacchio spoke with the coroner directly, and he adamantly denied this, stating that if something like that had happened, it would have been indicated in his report. And Ray took it a step further and contacted one of the EMTs who responded to the scene. Here's what he had to say. We did
1: not drop him. We are experts at body removal, and we would
2: never drop a body. That is, that is certainly not the case at all.
3: Theory number four, no rigor mortis.
2: This theory was MBI's way of discounting the possibility that the scene was staged or altered in any way. The gist of this theory being that Christian showed no signs of rigor mortis when the body was recovered, meaning the death had occurred recently and not enough time would have passed to allow a cover-up problem is, in reviewing the medical examiner's autopsy report, it's listed that, on the contrary, Christian was in partial rigor mortis. Theory number five, the
3: 911 call.
2: This one is more a belief surrounding the 911 call than it is a theory. To this day, the 911 call has not been released, but MBI states they listened to it, and in doing so, they offered their opinion of the authenticity of the call. They also attached a page from MPD's report of what they call a 911 call narrative, which is not very telling. It's just a summary of the call. Here's what it says.
3: Apartment 801, Christian Andriaccio, male, is in the bathroom and there is blood everywhere. Believes he shot himself. Did not say he was going to do this. Girlfriend is also on scene, Whitley Goodman. Door is open there is a silver bmw in the driveway officers could not find apartment 801 at the woodlands logged the subject's name and it came back with apartment 801 at willow ridge asked him if he was in willow ridge he asked the girlfriend and she confirmed it is willow ridge
2: so it's really not much of anything and to clarify that last part what happened there is officers had trouble finding the apartment because Dylan gave them the wrong address. Dylan spent a decent amount of time at the apartment. He was familiar with the place, but he directed officers five miles away to another apartment complex with a different name. Maybe a simple slip of the mind, but either way, it's odd. So after dealing with the misdirection, officers ran Christian's records and were able to locate the apartment. MBI's belief after an evaluation of the 911 call was that Dylan's call was genuine and not staged or intended to cover up any facts. And unfortunately, this is all we have on this because law enforcement has refused to release the call. Not even a transcription has been provided. These are the five main theories included in the MBI report. Now onto the final piece of the report, the evidence. A lot of evidence was mentioned within the theories, but let's go over the five pieces of evidence that have not been mentioned that are included in the MBI report.
3: Evidence number one, testing for blood on the gun.
2: The gun was submitted to the crime lab to test for the presence of blood. The results were negative.
3: Evidence number two, testing for fingerprints on the gun.
2: The results, negative.
3: Evidence number three, gunshot residue.
2: Remember, Christian, Whitley, and Dylan all tested positive for gunshot residue during MPD's investigation. And after reviewing the gunshot residue test results, MBI could not provide any additional information related to this.
3: Evidence number four, a bloody knife.
2: During MBI's investigation, Todd turned in a bloody knife that was found in the apartment. MBI tested it for human blood and the results were negative. Evidence number
3: five, the cell phones.
2: This piece of evidence is rather lengthy compared to the previous four, so listen up. We mentioned Christian's cell phone back in episode four, but during their investigation, MBI requested an extraction of Christian's cell phones to look for additional information related to the case. And yes, you heard that correctly, cell phones. Christian actually owned two phones, an iPhone and an HTC. The phones were sent to the Mississippi Analysis and Information Center for Extraction. MBI did not share any findings from the HTC phone, but they did attach findings from the iPhone to their report. And there were some very concerning text messages that came back in the extraction that need to be addressed. I want to read to you the ones that stood out to me. First, To give some context, Christian and Whitley are texting one another on the 25th, the day before Christian came home. In a six-hour window, from around 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., there's about 120 messages from Christian, compared to about 20 from Whitley. It's basically a one-sided conversation. Here's an example to show what I mean by that. At one point, he sends over 15 messages back-to-back. He asks her why her read receipts and location are off. He asks her to answer his phone calls. From there, it's, what's your deal? What did I do? Please answer the phone. Say something, anything, please, please. Then he says he's calling the cops in five minutes. And three minutes later, he finally gets a response from her in which she says to all of that, talk to you later. From the looks of what all we have to go on that was included in the NBI report, their conversation started to spin Christian out. And it led to some alarming text messages from Christian. Here's some of those messages. We aren't working. This ain't healthy for me. We aren't going to work. I love you more than anything in this world, but I'm too weak. I can't do it anymore. And another one. You're cutting me off, Whitley. You're going to lose someone who actually truly cares for you. Then, hours later, the conversation shifts a little. Whitley says, The world is just fucked up. It's unfair. We have a natural tendency to hurt others intentionally or unintentionally. We're all just living to die. You hurt so much, you laugh so much, and then you die. I don't wanna be so pessimistic, but I'm just confused. Christian responds to that with, Whitley, if that's the case, Let's just both kill ourselves. We have always been living to die. So why love? Why keep dragging our lives out? Let's just kill ourselves and get it over with. And it ramps up even more from there with these final two messages I wanna share that were sent from Christian's phone. The first, if this doesn't work, when I get to my apartment, I'm putting my pistol in my mouth and I'm ending this. I'm ending this once and for all because Whitley You're the closest I have ever been to happiness, and without that, it doesn't get any better from there. And I don't want it to get worse, and that is it for me. And lastly, there's this long-winded message from Christian that was sent at 10.40 p.m. the night of the 25th, which confirms he's getting off the boat. The message? I don't know why I ever thought I could make anyone else happy when I can't make myself happy. Ha ha. Kind of funny, I spend all my life chasing something, keep looking up, keep staying positive, and you're right. It's sad to say, but you're right. We are all here on a revolving ball to hurt one another breathing, to try to pretend to be happy, pretend that we have everything we want, fake smiles, fake friends. Love isn't real, just a word we say to trick ourselves into being happy. It worked, but looking back at it, love has done nothing but hurt me. Love has just tricked me into thinking this life had a point to it. There's not. We are here to die. I'm nothing more than fertilizer for the next human that walks the earth. I'm sorry that I led you to think any different. I'm sorry for all the things I have filled your head with, and all the hopes and promises that seem to mean everything, but in the end mean nothing. I work my backbone into the steel, and for what? So I can come home to hold paper in my hand? I'm going to sleep. I'm getting off the boat in the morning, My bags are packed, I talk to my captain, and I'm coming home. I'm done trying to pretend that this life is anything else than what it really is. These are suicidal text messages. There's no way around that and the messages have to be weighed out in the investigation into the death of Christian. Since this episode is intended to cover MBI's investigation and their report, I'm just sharing what stood out to me in the text messages they included. But, to add to this, I'd like to make a couple points. For one, the extraction report that MBI included is confusing. I really don't know how else to put it. Sometimes you can identify who messages are to, other times you can't. The time zone is incorrect, which really misconstrues things. But beyond that, I think the initial confusion when I analyzed the report came from this feeling that there's likely a lot of things that need to be considered when you're reviewing the contents of a person's phone. And in addition to that, I had a hunch that there had to be more than what they were sharing. And for now, I'll just say there is more than this. And I know this because after the Andriacchios got the phones back from MBI, they sent them off to have their own extraction and they got reports back on both of the phones. While this is the last of what we'll cover on the phones as it pertains to MBI, this is not the last you'll hear about the cell phones. So these are the five remaining pieces of evidence that were tested and listed in MBI's report. But what's concerning is the amount of evidence that was not tested, or at least there's nothing in any reports to confirm they were tested. One that stands out to me is the jacket that Dallas turned over to MPD that Whitley left at her house it was made very clear that the jacket was turned over. There's no disputing that. But what happened to the jacket after that is unclear. We're talking about a jacket that a main suspect could have been wearing the day this happened. It's one thing for MPD to not collect it as evidence. If they had already ruled it a suicide, it makes sense. But Dallas found it important enough to turn in. So at that point, why not address it? And then came a second opportunity, this time for MBI to address it when Dallas told them about it in her statement. And again, it's not addressed. Presumably, it doesn't exist. And that's a theme here. Evidence not being tested and evidence just disappearing. Josh talked about this at the beginning of the episode. Evidence he turned over that there's no record of. And Ray expands on this.
4: We turned over a t-shirt, a bloody t-shirt that was found in the apartment that was not collected as evidence. We turned over a notebook that was in Whitley's handwriting that had all of Christian's information, his social security number, his date of birth, all of his credit card information, his bank account information. You know, we turned over all of that to him, but to this day, they say that there's no record of that. With the shirt, Josh found it. He put it in a plastic bag, and we took it up there to the Highway Patrol office and gave it directly to Trent. It yeah. was wadded up behind the toilet, and it was like inside out. It had a lot of dog hair on it, of course. The and it was blood
2: was on the outside, but it was inside
1: out, like somebody had taken it off and kind of stashed it there or something.
4: The t-shirt has never been found. I mean, like, that was like it never was turned in. We contacted the crime lab. They said it was never turned into them. And again, it was never tested. It isn't mentioned in any report. And I think Cynthia had sent letters to their attorney requesting that it be turned back over to Meridian Police Department, and they would not acknowledge that they had anything. I mean, we felt like he probably just threw it away. And then he, because we had turned over both of Christian's phones to them, we requested that the phones be given back to us. They wouldn't even acknowledge they had the phones. And I had sent Trent Wheats' his supervisor, had sent him a letter saying, kind of basically complaining about Trent, and also saying, you know, he's refusing to acknowledge that he has these phones. And so then I guess he must have said something to Trent. So Trent said, I would never get the phones back. And so I immediately sent Trent this long text message, of course, that basically blasted him and said that, those were my phones or my son's phones and that his investigation was over. There was nothing on those phones that they don't already have that he couldn't give me the physical phone back. He never responded to the text message. So we continued to just have a very strained relationship with Trent.
2: Fortunately, the Andriacchios did have one person they could talk to throughout this, a woman who was mentioned earlier in the NBI report. Lt. Col. Gail Mills, with the Mississippi Highway Patrol. She actually helped Ray get the case in front of MBI. Gail has worked in Mississippi law enforcement for years, and although she used to work in a separate division, the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics, MBN and MBI both fall under the umbrella of the Department of Public Safety. So there's ties there. I was curious to get her thoughts on the case.
5: When Christian was murdered, which he was, I knew Ray at the time, and, you know, of course, she called me, told me what was going on, and, you know, I said, oh, my God, you know, somebody definitely murdered him. Well, it wasn't too long after that she called me and said, they're now saying he committed suicide, and I said, you know, there's no way he committed suicide. You know, we started discussing, like, you know, the gun was underneath him. I mean, the police department definitely did not do their job. They never really secured this crime scene. You know, she told me they had went in and found a shirt, I think, behind the commode with blood on it. She was telling me how they said that there was blood spl- you know, the door was closed. Well, there's blood splatter on the outside of the door. I mean, how can the door be closed and there be blood splatter on the outside of the door? You know, just everything she was telling me was like, this definitely was not investigated properly. At that time, I worked for the chief of the highway patrol who answers straight to the commissioner of public safety. So I went to the chief and told him, you know, about this person I knew in Meridian and how they had classified it as a suicide. And, it, you know, there's no way it could have been a suicide. The only way MBI can go in and investigate something is if a local department requests their assistance. Well, I set up a meeting with Mrs. Andrew Accio, with the commissioner, and I asked him, you know, is there any way possible that our department can help the police department look into this because I don't think they properly did the investigation. And he told her that he would help her in any way he could. And I kind of, you know, was out of it after that. You know, they really didn't keep me in the loop at all. Although my name was on a report that came I think from the AG's office, they never kept me in the loop at all. But I felt like if MBI got involved that they would do a proper investigation and, you know, whoever did this would be held accountable. Well, Mrs. Andrew Accio hired attorneys. She hired private investigators. She hired anybody she knew to hire that was very credible, that could help. And to my knowledge, it still has not been investigated. To my knowledge, the people that should have been interviewed still have not been interviewed. Why? I don't have a clue. I mean, I don't know if MBI was told to stand down on it. I don't know. But I thought once the commissioner got involved, you know, that it would be thoroughly investigated, which, in my opinion, it was not. Why was it not? I don't know. I don't know if someone from Meridian, you know, told them, leave it alone. I don't know. I do not know. In my opinion, though, it has something to do with Meridian politics. Because I think someone was involved in the case, in the murder, that they didn't want coming out. You know, they didn't want coming to life. There's also the crime lab element here. I mean, half the time they said they had the evidence, half the time they said they didn't, half the time they said they lost it, then they found it. I mean, you know, what's going on there? The crime lab, you know, is also under the umbrella of the Department of Public Safety, which I have always felt like in some ways that's kind of a conflict of interest. I mean, you know, the crime lab is responsible for analysis. That's it. They're not supposed to, you know, they're supposed to analyze evidence. That's it. There was one point in my career when i was over the evidence department we never destroyed anything unless there was a written order signed by a judge you know signed by the district attorney signed by someone saying you know this case has been dismissed this case is closed it's okay to destroy the evidence we didn't destroy anything without something in writing what are they hiding just give it to them i mean you know and they had outside experts in that field to look at look at all the evidence, look at blood splatter, look at all, you know, I, the angriarchios are not trying to expose anybody. They just want whoever killed their son to go to trial. That's what they want. They're not looking to, you know, hang a politician. They're not, they're just want, they want justice for Christian. That's what they want. Sometimes, you know, people know something. Sometimes it's that small piece that you never, you think this don't matter, this is irrelevant. And somewhere, someday, somebody is gonna talk. That's what I keep telling Ray. It it may be two years, 10 years, I don't know, but somebody knows what happened. And they're gonna talk to somebody.
2: Here's a final reading from the NBI report.
3: In conclusion, as a result of this investigation and evaluation of the available evidence, it was determined that the Meridian Police Department's findings are accurate relating to the death of Christian Andriacchio, That he died as the result of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. From the outset of MBI's and the Attorney General's involvement, it was acknowledged that some questions remain unanswered.
2: So long as questions remained unanswered, the Andreacchio's were not going to stop. And if there's one good thing that came from all of this, is that it led them to pretty much give up on law enforcement altogether, and instead put their trust in forensic specialists.
5: When I first met Mrs. Andreacchio back in 2014, the first thing I told her was this. I said, in a case like this, science will solve what happened to your son.
1: How he gets lividity in the back of the right calf when the right calf is facing up in that position is inexplicable. The time of death doesn't match with the time of the 911 call.
2: Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Menery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsay. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, cover art by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.